Sometimes our commander-in-chief, ideally a polder of the law, fails to inspire us. Take the 1970s. Well, I'm not a crook. Or the 90s. I did not have sexual relations with that woman. And now the 21st century. I'm an extremely stable genius. You're about to hear two attorneys make sense out of a legal system some say is a train wreck. Here are Royal Oaks and Connor Oaks. This is Too Many Lawyers. Welcome to Too Many Lawyers. I'm Royal Oaks. And I'm Connor Oaks. What what week is this? Uh, what pandemic week is dear, this? Dear Lord, it feels like my entire it's life. About March 16, right? So, right, March 16 was uh, the beginning. So this is now a June. March to 20, June. Uh, 28. Yes. Today's 28. So, yes. yeah, let's, uh, we're talking. Pretty much the whole May. month of June, yeah. which means we've had half of March and then April, May, June. So three and a half three months Three and a half months now. Wow. Well, it's been a rough three and a half months for everybody, but it's been a really rough week for John Bolton. We're going to talk about uh, his sort of victory and sort of defeat in court. Uh, We're going to talk about whether General Flynn is really going to go free and whether Bill Cosby should be going free because his appeal will now be taken up by the Pennsylvania Supreme Court. Uh, The Obamacare fight, it's back. You, You thought that perhaps after eight years of legal wrangling it would be over nope it's still around and if we've got time we just may get to the question who is this chief justice john roberts that keeps throwing a curve to everybody so let's dig in uh, to the john bolton situation uh we've got a final uh, decision on uh, the uh, request by the trump administration to shut down bolton's book the tell-all book about bolton's time with trump in terms of national security foreign relations so the background is Bolton got fired by Trump. He writes the book. Uh, he does not choose to testify or cooperate. During really. the president's impeachment hearings. Yeah, he kind of wants to lay back, hang back on that. So when you write a book as a national security advisor type, you got to get it cleared by the feds because there could be all sorts of secret stuff in there. And, and nobody really disputes that. And he went ahead and submitted the book. But he thought the Trump folks were dragging their feet Maybe to get it past the November election, that'd be a lot of foot dragging. It would. But uh, he's really got impatient. And so finally, he and his publisher said, doggone it, we're going to pull the trigger and publish it on June 23rd. So the Trump administration goes to court and they say, you know, we'd like a temporary restraining order. You know, he's violating the rules about the secrecy stuff. We need more time. And the court says, you know what, the horse is out of the barn. Uh, there are tens of thousands of copies of the book or in newsrooms and uh, advanced copies. And, you know, yeah, it hasn't actually gone uh, to uh, the bookstores yet, but an injunction would not make sense. But the judge did wag his finger at Bolton and say, you know, you could be in a heap of trouble, pal, uh, criminal liability, a civil liability. Connor, you think maybe Bolton got some bad advice from an overly aggressive lawyer? It's possible. I, I don't think that um, uh, Bolton actually got bad advice, and, and I don't think that he will actually lose all the profits from his book, uh, because I don't think that in the end it will be borne out that there was anything of national security significance in the book. The way the law works um, is it, it started uh, out when a CIA agent wrote a book about his time in the CIA uh, and made a whole bunch of money off of uh, off of that book. Mm-hmm. And they passed a law that said, well, we're going to claw that money back unless you run these books by us. And then if you run the book by us and it gets approved, you get to keep all that money. And that's so there's sort of two two sides to this. If you you if you go through the right process, you're protected from the government trying to silence you uh, uh, ostensibly. And if you don't go through the process, then you are protected and you can lose all the profits if there's something that's national security in there. 
But and this is based on a contract uh, that uh, that that you know everybody signs, um, and Bolton signed that contract. But in this case, because the the uh, the Trump administration initially did approve Bolton's book, and then once they realized uh, you know that it would be embarrassing to the president to have some of these negative stories uh, out there, uh, they basically recanted and 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 pulled that back. And a different Trump official said, "Oh, I changed my mind. Actually, there there we changed our minds. There, there is something uh, objectionable in national security, top secret, classified something mm-hmm. in this book. Um, basically, the book is just." Uh, Bolton saying Trump's a dumb dumb over and over again. There's nothing national security <laughs> sensitive in it, and thousands of people have now read it, as you said. And there's nothing I'd objectionable. I'd be popular because no other book has even suggested that. So yeah, this really exactly. is unique. Exactly. Totally. Yeah. And so I don't think that Bolton's going to face any uh, criminal liability, and he probably won't even face civil, that is, money uh, liability, where they would try to claw the profits back from this book because his book is basically boring, milk toast, normal crap that everybody else says about Trump. He's <laughs> Uh, worthless uh, there's there some pretty juicy parts Husk. of the the book they were releasing yeah you, you know it's got some interesting kind of inside baseball angles to it from a litigation standpoint uh, as you know connor uh you know when, so when you sue somebody the trump administration sues bolton and they say okay right. he's done a bad thing he shouldn't be allowed to publish the book and he we're going to go to trial and he's going to be found liable of breaking the rules and, and paying money damages and other bad things right when you first file the suit you go to the judge and you say, Your Honor, uh, the trial a year and a half from now, it's not really going to help so much. We need something special now. We need what, TRO. What's called, exactly. Temporary restraining order. And there are two magic parts to the TRO. Number one, you have to show the judge, we, the Trump administration, the plaintiff, the party suing, will probably win down the road at trial. Here's why we're going to win, we think. And number two, though, is if you don't give us an injunction, stop the publication of the book now, there will be irreparable injury mm-hmm. in the form of disclosing all sorts of fancy secrets yeah. the government has. TROs happen in lots of situations where something's going to be damaged, destroyed, torn down. Oh, this historic building is going to be torn down. And if you let them march forward and you don't put a restraining order in place, uh, we'll lose it forever. Mm-hmm. And maybe the cat getting out of the bag about how uh, dumb Trump is, is something that will, you know. Uh, be out of the bag and, and you Boy, can't you it's can't funny. That, you know, we've got horses getting out of the barn. Yeah. We've got cats getting out of the bag. You can't put the toothpaste back in the barrel. Oh, wait, no. A lot of Animal Kingdom metaphors here. Yeah. So anyway, that's the TRO stuff and it was bad news for Bolton. I, I, I hear what you're saying, Connor, about, well, maybe he'll win down the road, but this is hanging over his head now for years. He literally could go to prison, according to what the judge said just a few days ago. Now, okay, maybe it's a low chance. Is it 20 or 10 or 5 or 1%? But would anybody want that kind of thing? You know, money damages, much less prison hanging over their head? Shouldn't his lawyer have told him about all of these possibilities and instead of doing what he did, say, look, John, you can bang the drum up and get publicity about how Trump is dragging his feet to get past the November election. That's dishonest. But don't just go ahead and publish it because you are really potentially screwing yourself. I think that uh, everybody— You're an aggressive lawyer, Connor, I can tell. Yeah, everybody in the Trump administration is probably looking over their shoulders thinking, oh, God, when's the guillotine slash prison sentence coming regardless? So— Bolton has lived with so Trump's that. like Marie Antoinette. Yeah, well, yeah, he's like Damocles. He's got a sword hanging over him, and everybody around him looks around and sees Trump's fat butt as the sword of Damocles dangling by a thread, ready to crush them underneath. And they realize, I'm signing on to this sinking ship. When can I bail, get mine in a book deal, and get out? So there's there's a clock running out on Bolton's sort of relevance 
the the people who liked him back when he was recommending that we you know bomb uh most of the world into dust uh, and now when he signed on to uh work with a, a racist fearmonger who he now explicitly says oh i disagree with all his, his bad evil racism stuff i just you know only signed on because i just wanted to, an excuse to be able to to bomb and kill people abroad and and you know in the private sector you can't do that that's not exactly what his book said but I, that was the gist of what i got from his book of why he and his interviews for why he signed on and and took up with trump even though oh i knew all along trump was a bad dude he knew what he was doing going into this he knew what he was signing up for and the idea that he might end up in jail if some judge thinks yeah he was always going to be uh the boogeyman and always going to be uh regarded as evil he's just trying to make his money he's just trying to get I, out and, and maintain whatever reputation he has left and eh, he'll take the risk as i comes. think that bolton joined the trump administration because trump said to him one day i really think your mustache is luxurious and no one had That's ever complimented it ever before nobody and i can understand that let's talk general flynn uh maybe he'll have time to write a tell-all book uh maybe he would have had more time of course in prison, right. in prison. now that he's probably going free so the D.C. Circuit threw everybody a curve. They ordered the trial judge to drop the government's case against former National Security Advisor Michael Flynn right. after the DOJ recommended, oh, yeah, we want to go along with the defense request to dismiss. It was a curve because at the oral argument uh, a few weeks ago, the questions by the District of Columbia Circuit Court of Appeals judges suggested they were actually leaning toward letting the trial judge have, let the process play out in terms of a full evaluation of whether the case should be dropped. Yeah, regardless of how everybody feels about Flynn, I think the decision is the right one because I think the executive branch has the job of deciding who to prosecute and when, and the judicial branch has the job of presiding over trials and appeals. And so this decision, I think, reinforces the bright line uh, between the, you know, the, the, as AOC says, the three chambers of government. Uh, would you agree, Connor? Uh, yeah, um, it, it's an interesting theory. When are we gonna When are we gonna give uh, uh, AOC a break on her slip in describing the three never, chambers never instead of the three branches? That. This is a woman who makes dinner on Instagram Live in front of tens of thousands of people <laughs> many nights. She's gonna say some wrong things, and it, we turn around and then we criticize Joe Biden because he lives in if the she, bunker and never she, comes out. If she what, stuck you, with a cooking show, I wouldn't be ragging on her. Do but. you want your politicians to be accessible and make faux pas in their descriptions of the state, the forms of government that we currently have, or do you want them to be invisible bunker dwellers like Joe Biden? I mean, pick one. I can't decide. We can't, <laughs> we, I just like them both so much. <laughs> You know, it. Uh, the thing is, though, about Flynn, it, it ain't over till it's over. And right. I was going to use another expression, but it would have been perceived as fat shaming. True. The trial judge has the right to go to the full D.C. Circuit and say, <laughs> Your Honors, can you believe what that three-judge panel so did? So silly. It was a two-to-one decision. It's a funny thing. The two Republican presidential appointees voted for Flynn. The one Democrat uh, presidential appointee voted against it. Yeah. I don't, I don't get strange. it. They're strange. Anyway, so the full D.C. Circuit, majority of those judges, could vote and say, oh, you know, with all due respect to our three-judge panel, we'd like to take Why'd it Why'd you become Bill Clinton there for a second? <laughs> and it wouldn't be a show. Well, when you've got an easy impression to do, then you, you do You fall it. back on it, absolutely. Uh, so the, the judge uh, might get his way because the full D.C. Circuit might uh, go with him on an en banc basis. Or whoever loses at the D.C. Circuit, they can go up to the U.S. Supreme Court to get involved, which is a long shot. 
but you know, this isn't your father's uh, lawsuit. So I don't know. I think the whole dispute really has been drenched in partisanship. I mean, it doesn't take a rocket scientist to infer that maybe the Department of Justice had some political motives lurking in the background behind its dismissal recommendation for Flynn. On the other hand, given that Trump explicitly went out and said, oh, you got a raw deal. It's all unfair and those political nonsense. And so I'm going to just let him out. On the other hand, was it really prudent for the trial judge to appoint as a special master assisting the court in deciding whether the case should be dismissed? A retired judge who just days before the appointment had posted hugely anti-Trump and anti-Michael Flynn social media missives. I mean, I can bloviate every day on right. social media. But and, you don't get appointed uh, yeah. to, to write an amicus brief, basically. But again, as we've discussed on this before, my perspective on that is that you want the most virulently anti-Flynn and anti-Trump guy to present that argument because this Peter, judge— Peter Strzok it is. Sure. This, ju- this judge was faced with a difficult decision. Judges don't get— to judges always get both sides of the argument right. because you've got advocates on both sides arguing. If you've got the government for, for Trump, who should be prosecuting crimes, actually turning tail and running away from their own accomplishment of, get, of nailing Tr- Flynn to the wall for all the terrible stuff he did, and suddenly they're on the side of the defense lawyer saying, yeah, let him out, let him out. Everybody in the room is saying, let him out, let him out. You need to hear the argument from the other side. That's how our adversarial system works. Now, if you say that somebody who's biased because they're getting paid to be a lawyer for or biased because they've got political uh, biases and, and you know, come with come in with preconceived mm-hmm. notions, if that person is is, you know, not going to present the best argument, then you're saying that our adversarial legal system doesn't work. You're saying that we can't trust the lawyers on both sides because they're motivated by money. Well, they're just there to make the best arguments. And then the judge hears both sides and says which one's correct. If that system doesn't work, nothing works. So you got to have somebody in there advocating for the side of lock him up. <laughs> oh, we don't really Oh, we like can't it. say that phrase. Yeah, we, we can't, can't say, say that, that phrase. We can never lock anybody up. This is too many. Which abolish prisons. I'm on board. <laughs> this is too many lawyers. When we come back, we're going to talk about whether Bill Cosby should remain locked up. Yeah, yeah, lock him up. <laughs> And in terms of uh, subscribing, uh, please, con- please go on iTunes. Please, I'll take it. Go to. I use Podcast Addict. If you use Apple Podcasts app, because uh, you're on Apple instead of you know you, you haven't had your mind liberated by uh, uh, the Android uh, uh, kin <laughs> and, and join the family. Um, if you use whatever podcast app, Stitcher, anything. Uh, Please go on there and leave us a subscription. Uh, sorry, leave us a review and subscribe to us. It helps. It helps a lot. It helps us understand, you know, what you guys like about the show, what you don't. Uh, so we really appreciate it. Um, and, uh, of course, um, six-star reviews only. We'll be right back on Too Many Lawyers. This is Too Many Lawyers. I'm Royal Oaks. And I'm Connor Oaks. So Bill Cosby, the story that just won't go away. <sighs> it um, should have gone away for three to ten years. Well, yeah, that's the deal. He certainly got his uh, conviction. So um, just just to refresh your memory about the background, 2004, uh, uh, the uh, Andrea Constant was the accuser. She claims that her home, uh, she was sexually assaulted by Bill Cosby. Uh, he was convicted in 2018 of sexual assault, and uh, he was sentenced to, uh, as I said, I think, you, yeah, three to ten year sentence. Yeah, you're right. So uh, he appeals, of course, and the intermediate uh, appellate court in Pennsylvania said, eh, no, we're not buying it. But you've got a Supreme Court in Pennsylvania, just like the California situation. You've got trial court, court of appeal, and then Supreme Court. And just a few days ago, the state Supreme Court in Pennsylvania said, you know what? We are going to review Bill Cosby's appeal. She did, they didn't have to take it because the Supreme Court in the state, you know, they pick and choose, and they usually take about 5% of the cases. 
And the interesting thing, Connor, is that they took it but specified two or three of the issues of the many issues that Cosby's lawyer raised. So it suggests maybe they're kind of interested in sinking their teeth into it. So one of the issues they agreed to take up was whether or not it was okay for the trial judge to allow, I think, uh, five other women uh, accusers to testify who were not involved in the Andrea Constant case, totally separate situations. You think it's fair for uh, a... a uh, a star like Bill Cosby to be facing all of these women from decades in his past. So this is an, a very you know complicated criminal procedure uh, question, criminal law and criminal procedure question. Um, say, That's why I asked you because it's so complicated. <laughs> yeah. So uh, to explain, say you're on trial for uh, uh, dealing drugs. You know, you, you you sell a little cocaine here, a little amphetamines there. You know how that is. Uh, and they I've catch seen you. Breaking Bad. I right, know how exactly. That is. Say you're you're Walter White, and you're on trial. And, say my name. <laughs> and you are, uh, and and uh, they say in order to nail Walter White, that we yeah, we don't have that much evidence. He's really good at covering his tracks. Uh, we didn't catch him with a, a bunch of that, uh, that sweet, awesome blue crystal that he makes. Um, so it's kind of thin. What we'll use is we will say he's got a bunch of bad parking tickets, uh, and then at one point he uh, committed some violent acts. Now he's not being, he's not going to jail. They're not trying to nail him on these these violent acts. We're just saying, um, you know, those violent acts were previous convictions that he had. And we'll bring that all into the courtroom and they'll realize how bad a duty is and they'll, they'll nail him on this drug charge. And that's the problem is that a jury might look at the fact that he's got, uh, oh, well, you know, he has some uh, assault charges previously um, and then he robbed a, a liquor store um, and then he doesn't pay his parking tickets and he kicked a dog. And all those bad things mean that he's a bad guy and we just send him to prison. I don't care whether we really can get him on this drug charge. I don't really care if he did this crime here specifically because he's just such a bad guy. And yeah, the court so it's goes, dangerous. And yeah. so generally. The court says, oh, no, this is really bad. We can't let that sort of evidence in. So if I'm on trial for drugs, you can't bring in my previous assault charges because it would be too you know, inflammatory to the jury. It would taint the jury and they would they would hate me uh, unjustly because you're only really here about this one thing. The exception to that, and there are many exceptions to this sort, these sorts of rules, but the relevant exception here is that if you, um, I don't know if you guys have seen uh, Home Alone, the original Home Alone movies Everybody's with Macaulay Culkin, Alone, yeah. classic with Joe Pesci and whoever the tall dude is. Uh, Daniel Stern? Sure. Well, good memory. Wow. Um, so they called themselves, Daniel Stern was obsessed with uh, leaving his signature at the crime scene, right? He would he would stop up the sinks and then turn them on. Mm -hmm. And then he would say, oh, yeah, they're going to they call us the wet bandits. And it was this <laughs> dopey thing. And Joe Pesci kept saying- Wasn't it saying, the moist bandits? I don't know. You're I probably right. Uh, Joe Pesci kept saying, you idiot, why would you do this? And of course, the problem is then they'll be able to link them to all the crimes they've mm -hmm. committed. It's the worst possible thing you could do. But- that is a signature way a that you pattern commit. and practice. Exactly, pattern and practice. And the signature nature of that crime would mean that at a trial, uh, if if they uh, could prove that they did the previous crime in a certain way, stopping up the sink and spilling over the water, they could prove that they'd uh, you know committed these other house uh, break-ins in the same way. And that's what they did in the in the, the the trial. They said, look, these other women said that you drugged them and sexually assaulted them at your home or their home or wherever else, and that created this pattern and practice, this signature crime that you do, Yeah, Mr. but to Cosby. play devil's advocate, and, sure. and you're right, that was the rule in, in the Phil Spector case, if people remember, you know, he got drunk, waved a gun around, and he shot uh, uh, poor Lana Clarkson to death, and uh, four or five women testified, yeah, over the last 25 years, uh, Phil dated me too. He would get drunk, he'd wave the gun, and I'm lucky, I'm here. But Lana wasn't lucky, and the judge in that case allowed it. But to play dabble's advocate, although that may increase 
the the strength of the case and the likelihood that he uh, did this to Andrea Constant, isn't the the big danger of prejudice still there that a jury is going to hear that and say, oh man, this guy, I really believe he he did it to uh, uh, additional victim one, three, and five. I'm not going to let him go free, even though, you know what, I don't think he did it to Andrea Constant. And they might have believed that because Andrea Constant, months after she was allegedly sexually assaulted, went up to a Montreal comedy concert with her parents to see Bill with a gift for him. And so people could, based on that and other arguments by the defense, say, I don't think he did it to Andrea. But with all that pattern and practice evidence, what are the chances they're going to let him go free? Hey, you're right. That is the difficult decision that uh, a judge has to make when a judge who, who's the decision maker in this case, um, and they can be overturned later by a higher court. But in this spot, uh, a criminal uh, law judge who's sitting in front of this uh, uh, trial and running it has to make the decision which one outweighs the other, which is the most important. Do we allow in this this evidence uh, and testimony about pat- pattern and practice that he's done this before and in this specific signature way where he meets a substantially younger woman that he gains her trust that he invites her back to a place where he's alone with her where he provides her with a drink or drugs and then sexually assaults her once she's incapacitated if that's so indicative of a pattern and practice that he that that it's really strong evidence that it did happen in this case then does that outweigh the taint that is going to apply to a jury where a jury just says, wow, there's just so much evidence that this guy's a bad guy. And it really is not the argument that people, you know, a lot of lay people look at this and say, oh, well, if he did it to these other women, then he should go to prison right. for, for Andrea. No, you, if, he, if he did it to those other women, you have to get him in a courtroom and get him on trial for having done it to those other women and yep. have him be able to defend himself in all those other cases. But in this case... It's not what he's on trial for. I'm strongly in favor of letting this sort of testimony in in this kind of case specifically, but it is a really case-by-case analysis. It's a tough one, but there are a couple of other arguments that Cosby's making that the Supreme Court specifically said, yeah, we're interested enough. We would like those to be briefed and argued. One is, should his deposition in a civil case have come in where he says, oh, yeah, I used quaaludes uh, to have sex with other women. Right. And then the final argument is that uh, the former DA years ago allegedly made a, a promise to Cosby and his lawyers, look, if you will go ahead and participate in the civil case Andrea Constand filed against you and give your deposition as opposed to clamming up and taking the fifth. I won't prosecute you. That was the deal he allegedly made. Well, apparently it wasn't all that super clear or in writing, and maybe the DA didn't have the right to do that. That's what the trial judge accepted. Bill Cosby's lawyers are saying, no, this really was a promise, and it isn't fair to, to force him to have gone forward with this recent trial. Those issues will be hashed out by the uh, Pennsylvania Supreme Court. Hey, when we come back, the uh, Obamacare legal fight, it just won't go away. Stick with us on Too Many Lawyers. We're back on Too Many Lawyers. I'm Royal Oaks. And I'm Connor Oaks. It's hard to believe, Connor, this Obamacare legal fight, it just, it just won't die. It won't. So, so let's review the bidding, as they say in Bridge. I don't play Bridge, but that's what they say. <laughs> 2010, uh, the Obamacare uh, bill is passed. It becomes law. And how did it happen? Well, it's because the same party controlled the presidency and the Senate and the and the House. And so, we actually got something done. And we got something done. Hallelujah. We're going to put something in quotes. Right. Okay. <laughs> what are we looking at after November of this year? Well, I don't think too many people are betting on uh, Trump winning. No, not at I don't moment. think anybody's betting on the Republicans flipping the House. Nope. And as for the Senate... 
uh, we were talking a week or so ago about how the 53-47 Republican lead is eh, kind of semi-solid, but but also a little precarious. I think as the months go by, people are more and more thinking, you know, the Senate, you know, Trump is just not selling. People aren't selling the papers. Excuse me. They're not buying the papers he's selling. So we could be looking at a repeat of the 2008, from the Republican standpoint, debacle. Debacle. Uh, but. Uh, I digress. So let's let's get to the, the chronology. 2010, it's passed. 2012, it is saved by John Roberts, Chief Justice. He voted with the liberal bloc to say it's legal. The mandate, uh, you know, forcing people to buy insurance is not illegal. It's just a tax. It's money you pay for not buying your policy. Then, though, the House goes to the to uh, the Republicans. The presidency goes to Trump, and in and uh, in 2017. The Republicans omitted the mandate from Obamacare, meaning you don't have to buy your Obamacare policy. It's not a violation of the policy of the law to not buy the Obamacare policy. So you say, well, what's what's the problem? Well, the Republican states then sued to uh, cancel all of Obamacare, saying, Judge, here's the deal. Such Obama- a great argument. I love Obamacare this. is like a three-legged stool. And without the mandate, the forcing everybody to pay premiums and buy the policy, you take one leg away from a three-legged stool, and you know what happens, Judge? Blammo! Blammo. It hits the ground. We so destroyed the, the one leg, and now the stool's ruined, so we should just burn the whole stool, Burn guys. the stool. Thank burn the God stool it's wood. Ground. Thank God it's wood, so it'll burn. Good so, metaphor. So the Republicans argue that when the Supreme Court approved Obamacare, it only did so because the mandate was found illegal. Trump's argument was that, you know, Obamacare is a government-run public option for health care, and, and that'll drive people into government-controlled plans. So now uh, the Trump administration is arguing this. So you predict a success for Donald Trump on this argument, Connor? No, because no. we are in the middle of a pandemic and the idea of uh, taking away uh, the structure through which millions of Americans get their health care is horrifying and scary. This is uh, a, a huge political misstep in my mind. I think that that the hope is that this sort of thing would fire up the base and they'd start saying, yeah, government, get out of our health care. This is not the moment to start saying government, get out of our health care. People are too afraid about health care and their health to be making this argument. I, I think that this is a I think that this is a huge blunder. I at the same and I think that the left and even the center is making Great hay out of the fact that Trump is out there, especially on Twitter, saying things like, I'm going to protect pre-existing conditions when the the move to destroy Obamacare in this way would get rid of pre-existing conditions. And tons on the left and in the center are making hay out of the fact that COVID uh, infection and the fallout therefrom is absolutely going to end up on a pre-existing conditions list. And so you're going to try to get health insurance and they're going to go, oh, I'm so sorry that you were afflicted by COVID and have, as a result of it, uh, all of these lasting difficulties because we're showing there are many people who have lasting difficulties after COVID infection. And even if you don't have those lasting difficulties, the health insurance companies might be afraid that you might develop them. And thus, you're not going to end up getting the same policy. You're going to have to pay more money. It's going to be prohibitively expensive. You're not going to end up getting health insurance. And people are so afraid of that idea. Like the the American uh, political like movement went so swung so quickly, just like it, it swung in, in, you know, in, in a sh- tiny span of years uh, away uh, from this sort of Christian driven uh, marriages between a man and a woman. And it swung dramatically in the direction of uh, gay marriage is marriage and it should be legal and it, every in every state, blah, blah, blah. It moved very quickly in that direction. And, and, and the political the polls of political opinions changed. 
pre-existing conditions as a concept as being protected and being in a, uh, a something that needs pr- government protection also swung dramatically. No, you're right. Why are we attacking there Republicans? What are you doing? dramatic swing. And it is kind of funny. You wonder how Trump expects to, to really achieve this best of both worlds deal. On the one hand, he wants to appeal to his base, who a lot of people you know, hate the idea of Obamacare. Uh, but he also wants to appeal to people who they don't necessarily hate the idea, but they are very cynical about the idea of government doing anything. You know, it's a persuasive argument. The IRS, the DMV, the Veterans Administration, they never get anything right. Do you really want to trust them with your brain transplant? So he wants that. On the other hand, he also is smart enough, I think, to realize that uh, pre-existing conditions is something that, you know, the American people, as you say, they've embraced it very quickly. But I don't know how he's supposed to achieve pre-existing conditions because we don't know what his alternative plan is. Right. I mean, we really are in the dark as to that. So uh, I, I think it's possible that he realizes that uh, with the Supreme Court argument on Obamacare coming up probably in October, we aren't going to get a decision before the election. So it's not going to be a, a deal where, okay, here's your win, Mr. President. Oh, now you're screwed because everybody hates the win, and so you're going to lose. Maybe he just, again, wants to appeal to the base and uh, but who knows? I mean, the Supreme Court could throw him a curve and issue a quick decision even before the election. It could. They never know. So let's uh, finally talk uh, about Chief Justice John Roberts. Speaking talked, of curveballs coming out of the Supreme Court. Yeah, we've talked uh, a lot about the Supreme Court this week. And uh, I mean, God, my gosh, uh, it's like Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid. They, they had a, added a catchphrase to our language. Who are those guys? Well, Chief Justice Ron, John Roberts has led the Supreme Court for 15 years, and people are still scratching their heads and saying, who is that Chief Justice? I mean, take a look at his decisions. In just the last couple of weeks, he joined the liberal bloc in the Supreme Court on that Civil Rights Act deal about sexual orientation decision, and the DACA program was saved. Uh, he voted for that. But that's just the tip of the iceberg. As I said earlier, he saved Obamacare, not once, but twice. He also rejected Trump's proposal to put a citizenship question on the 2020 census. But look at the other hand. I mean, he dissented from the same-sex marriage, Connor, that you just uh, mentioned a a, a minute ago. And he joined in the Citizens United decision, the decision that enjoys a special place in progressive's pantheon of of evil Evil, decisions. And he wrote the decision that struck down a portion of the Voting Rights Act of 1965. So, Connor, you have expertise in the field of law and psychiatry. What's your possible (laughs) explanation for Chief Justice Roberts? I mean, I think that Roberts would like to have it both ways, that he'd like to dance uh, among the raindrops and not get wet. I think that he'd like to uh, portray himself as— Did you just make that up, or is that a thing? I think it's a thing. It's a thing. Although I'll take credit for it if you'll let me. Go ahead. He wants to uh, cement his legacy, as we've discussed previously on this on this very program. That it's the most important thing to him that he that people look back and say that he was even handed, or that he made the world a better place, or whatever else uh, you know he he sees uh, himself as as uh, you know representing as a chief justice. I love your ringtone. It's very nice. It's very good. <laughs> well, it's it fits in with our reference to Walter White no, earlier no, in the absolutely. day. Absolutely, Breaking Bad ringtone. Um, it, I I don't think anyone has a custom ringtone anymore. I think it's because millennials and and Zoomers, is that not cool? They, well, they don't call each other. Nobody calls anybody well, on the true. phone. I, sorry, we we get derailed here. <laughs> Roberts would like to 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 have it both ways. Um, and he he's, I think he's actually kind of running into a problem in that most people remember. Big liberal decisions, because liberal decisions, liberal, you know, like uh, outcomes, Mm -hmm. change the world. They don't maintain the status quo. They change the world in a way that 
liberals like. And so I think Roberts is probably stacking up these liberal decisions and sort of trying to counter uh, weight them against his uh, conservative But if the Supreme Court strikes down Obamacare, that would change the world, Connor. That wouldn't be the status quo. You're right. Absolutely. And in a way, Citizens United uh, kind of changed the world and that we have we put so much focus on it as authorizing this unfettered political spending you know dark money coming from from corporations uh that it, that is another one that it changed the world and gets a lot of negative flack but the majority but of the way i was curious is big money coming from unions does that count as dark money too or yes that, absolutely oh, okay okay less dark <laughs> sort of gray gray no that's oh. the problem is it's all equally gray you can't okay. tell where it's coming from and uh yeah nothing screams uh uh fair and and uh and equal representation in uh the political arena like saying keep my name out of this don't you dare <laughs> tell anyone who who i'm spending my political money on and that's the problem we don't know who's spending on what political campaigns and it's completely unregulated and unlimited so you're right there are two views of this uh, roberts approach to guiding the high court some people say he's a jurist who does what he thinks is right regardless of the ideological tugs and other people say he just wants to bend with the wind and guide the supreme court yeah that's what he doesn't want i'm saying that's the most important thing is he doesn't want people to look back and say he was confused right. uh, that he uh you know nobody likes that didn't what he know what he was doing or uh, that the liberals took advantage of him sometimes and, and 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 led him astray. That's that's what he wants to avoid. I think that that's one of the most important things for a, a conservative jurist who who sees themselves as uh, sticking to sets of rules. I think that's the most important thing for for conservative jurists is they they want to say these are my rules or my principles and I just I just call balls and strikes but I don't draw the striking zone, you know? And I think Liberals uh, are not so constrained by that when they're building their legacy. Uh, they're much more concerned with what are the right outcomes that I came to and look at my you know list of accomplishments here. I ended up making the world, I came to the right decision. I made the world a better place. Uh, conservatives, uh, they don't want their legacy to look like that because that's just the way the ideologies work at the if moment. If you had multiple accomplishments, you could have a three-legacied stool maybe. <laughs> so, you know, this is interesting, Connor. We, why don't we just put in a call to the Supreme Court uh-huh. and see if the chief would be a guest on next week's uh, podcast because he could clear up some of the mysteries. We're asking questions, but he's the guy with the answers. You know, you're right. And we don't want to put words in his mouth. Um He's the kind of guy who can speak for himself. That's for sure. Well, we'll see. I'm I'm going to think about putting a call in, and yeah. Okay, yeah, I, I, I got a week. I got a connection. I know his wife pretty well, uh, Kyra. Um, so we will. Uh, I'll just wow. put in a call. That that is fantastic. Well, it's been a pleasure sorting through these issues with you, Connor. We hope everybody will uh, tune in again next week on Too Many Lawyers. See you soon.